0: Hello. Mm? where are you and what are you doing?
1: I'm in Darwin. I'm on my way to Sumba in Indonesia to catch lots of fish.
0: Did you remember that we were doing a podcast? Oh, I
2: forgot. <laughs> Pack the boot and buy the bait. Tie the nuts that take the weight. Got my mates by my side. And we'll be frying up tonight. Sailing on the tide will not return until we're stacked An esky full of beers will
1: soon replace with what we catch Well, I'm back in the Northern Territory for the first time in a couple of years and uh, I'll tell you what, i really missed catching Barra.
0: Listen to that, would you? There he is, in the heat, fishing for the iconic barramundi in Australia's fishing mecca, Darwin, in the Northern Territory. And as you'll find out in this episode of The Global Angler, he gets his ass kicked by one of Australia's best female anglers. It's actually not hard to feel a little smug when you outfish Steve Starlow's darling, but for this particular chick who heralds from the top end... Catching more fish than Starlow, it's a gift that keeps on
1: giving. 2.5 anglers, if we had had three, we would have been right. (laughs) 15 or so. It's me that he's riding off.
0: We're about to track down the starfish, though somewhere. Fishing a stinking hot billabong, I suspect, and probably rehydrating himself with a cold beer. But we've got a question for you. Have you ever looked back and wondered why you fish? You know, really thought about when it all started for you and what fishing gives you. Well, you're going to meet an angling legend. We think he's a national treasure here in Australia. His name is Dick Lewis.
3: I can remember catching a trout and it was every bit of about nine inches long. That was the biggest fish I'd ever seen. That's probably one thing I'll never forget, that first fish.
0: It's a beautiful conversation with a lovely man. Right now, though, let's get on the starfish enterprise and catch a barra in the top end with Starlow and Joe.
1: The Global Angler. Well, I'm back in the Northern Territory for the first time in a couple of years and uh, we're up nice and early getting ready for a barrow fishing trip. And I'll tell you what, I really missed catching barra since I left uh, the top end of Australia. We're going out with a good mate of ours, Glenn Watt from Barefoot Fishing Safaris. He'll be picking us up in a minute and we're going to drive out to Dundee Beach. It's about an hour and a half's drive from, from Darwin. Going to launch the boat there and apparently head down to the Finnis River. You could say I'm a little bit excited. Got no boss upon my back. Just the prize weed into buy it. So, Waddy, what, what are we doing?
2: <laughs> Flat's fishing uh, Fog Bay. Just got the tide just high enough for us to get up in... To this lovely area here where I've been getting a few barra the last few days. We'll fish it for probably three hours, we'll have up here today.
1: All right, let's do it. Sealing on the tide will not return until we're stacked. What have you got, huh? Oh, I got a barrow, first one for my trip. <laughs> <laughs> he's, just a, he's just a
0: junior model, but he's a beautiful silverfish. What would he be? What would he be all of 45 oh, centimetres? Make him along the
1: side there and get a measure.
0: Just measure him. I'm going tail first, but that's all right. Uh, 40, 48. 48. <laughs>
1: You got him.
0: Oh, he's well and truly a
2: keeper. Oh, All right, <laughs> bunch of nice cowboys. Fish. What a
1: fish. There's a few in there <laughs> on that fish. <laughs> There's a few there, mate. <laughs> I only had a couple of
2: twitches and he ate it. That was awesome. Oh, geez,
1: they're just good. immaculate, aren't they? They're so silver.
2: I love using those little rods, eh? So much fun to fish with. They're the ones you bought for the brim yeah, tournament. Yeah, well, I bought two, and then I liked them so much, I bought another two. Cast over on that beach. <laughs> told you there was bait. Anchor up again, chase the wind again, steer the mother out of for glory. We won't.
1: All right, change of location. We've moved from the Finnis River to the Little Finnis River. Tide's dropping out, and we're going to fish some snags. need some goddamn fish. on oh. the Dripped in the biscuits. Time to go home once you've dripped
0: in the biscuits. Dripped your barra slime into the chicken crimpies. (laughs) Do you know how much that sucks? Do you reckon that's two (laughs) stories up? Close
2: to three, I reckon.
0: (laughs) Three stories up. I cast that up there. Chainsaw.
1: Chainsaw. Start calling him
2: Tarzan. (laughs) No,
0: he's up in in the trees in the
2: trees. Didn't know
0: they make trees that high. You're re-rigging too.
1: Yeah. I'll meet you at the meet at the scissors. An esky
2: full of beers will soon replace with what we catch. Well, here we
1: are rolling back in towards uh, Darwin after a great day on the water out there, out off Dundee Beach. Was that a, a, a pretty typical day for this time of the year, Glenn? Uh yeah, probably typical. I think I called 10,
2: 10 Barra for us as par today last night, didn't I? So we ended up boating about a
1: dozen. So, 2.5 anglers, if we had had three we would have been right, probably <laughs> 15 or so. It's me that he's riding off. I lost my first fish and my favourite lure and it was just all downhill from, the, from then on. Luckily though, Joe and uh, Glen carried their weight and as they said, caught about a dozen barra. A couple of uh, small threadfin salmon, catfish, few other odds and ends it was a pretty good day on the water and we were off the water by two o'clock so gotta love that it was hot though Woo. yeah
0: pretty good trip you're listening to the global angler with me snagger brown and starlo fish with us on facebook and twitter and you can subscribe to this brilliant podcast on audio boom and stitcher wow, it
3: smells good yeah caught fresh this
0: morning better get the chips on then Now, here's a few tips on how to cook the perfect fillet of barramundi. Chef and restaurateur Lorenzo in Wollongong, New South Wales, chooses the larger farmed barramundi. He says they have more flavour and no traces of mud that can be found in those cordon estuaries. The bigger barras offer those beautiful steaks and chunks of delightful flesh which can take high heat when thrown on a barbie or a pan or a grill. If you are cooking a fillet, go for something around 180 grams. Cut away any sinew and keep that skin on.
2: What we like to do is uh, put like three marks into it so that it splits the skin open and that way it allows the heat to go through the skin into the flesh as well. So what we tend to do is start with a Teflon pan, which has got just basic uh, canola oil we use or you can use vegetable oil, don't use anything that burns a lot faster than that like olive oil um, because then it would give it that burnt flavour rather than the cooked flavour. So we start with that, we don't um, flour the fish at all. Uh, We season the pan first so we put a little bit of salt and pepper. And we also season the fillet before it goes in the pan. So we season top and bottom, so flesh side and skin side as well. So we make the pan get absolutely hot. We then add the oil to it, so that way the oil isn't, hasn't been smoking. So as soon as the oil goes in, you can see it's frying away. Then we put the fish inside down and really let it cook. Now, Barramundi has a little tendency to curl up as soon as it hits the heat. So what you need to do is with a pair of tongs, really keep it pressed down so that that way the skin's all in touch with the pan. Do that for about a minute and a half, two minutes, and then you'll see that the colour's starting to rise into the flesh as well. Have your 200-degree oven ready and just put the pan in there for about four to five minutes when you look at it again you'll find that it's gone white most of the way except for the very top part which is still opaque like raw fish basically so at this point we bring it out we then add butter into the pan what the butter does it gives it that nice sort of uh, browning to the skin that sort of really richness to it and what we do then is And this is back onto a flame on top of the stove. We turn the fish over, so this time it's got uh, flesh down with the butter and the oil, obviously, that's been there from before. And then with a little spoon, we coat the fish constantly with the liquid that's in the pan. So that way you're sort of cooking and basting. And we only let it sear on the um, flesh side for maybe 30 seconds and then we turn it again over to the skin side and at this point it's ready to serve. So what we tend to do is rest it. So we have uh, a tray with some kitchen paper and we remove the fish from the pan so that way it allows all the extra butter and oil to come off it. And then when we serve it, we serve it uh, flesh side down so that way you get the beautiful uh, um, you know crispy skin on the outside with the little three cuts that we did originally and it presents absolutely beautifully.
0: Oh, my god! I need a bib. <laughs> you know, the crispy skin of barramundi is something that I wanted to ask you about. You've covered all bases, but that crispy skin is what you look for when you get a fillet of barramundi, isn't it?
2: That's right, because uh, unlike, obviously, there's a lot of fish that, that uh, the skin is not edible, but things like snapper, trevalla, mm. the old goo fish, which are just mulloway, Malloway, yeah, they all got really tasteful uh, skins, even the Atlantic salmon or the ocean trout but they need to have that serious heat put onto them beneath it because otherwise it doesn't crispen up. And just adding that little bit of butter, I don't mean excessive, but let's say you're mm. doing a fish filler for yourself and it's 180 grams, I'd put probably about 30 or 40 grams of butter. So it is a little bit of butter. But don't forget, you're just using it to colour the skin, baste it while you're frying it, and then you don't actually serve any of it. So it's-
0: I, had, I had no idea about that technique. Of not really cooking the top,
2: uh, the flesh, yeah. Yeah, no, the the thing is that the oven takes care of, because it's obviously Mm. encased in heat once it's in the oven, it does cook but not at the same intense heat that you would have, say, on the frying top. But to just get it past that point of being a little bit too under... And it's one of those fish I feel that you can't really have it a little bit under. You can have Trevella a little bit opaque. You can have Snapper a little bit opaque. But I find barramundi really needs to have gone totally white through the whole uh, fillet. Now, you
0: could do this, Lorenzo, couldn't you, on a barbecue yes. that's got uh, a lid. It, uh,
2: it's got a lid. Um, in fact, that's how I'd use it uh, here. I've got one of those uh, egg-shaped sort of uh, yeah. barbecues. So what I do, I've got a hot plate which sits on top of the griddle, on top of the cross, you know, the char grilling plate. So I make yeah. sure that that really gets really, really hot, and then use the same technique: oil seasoned, and then put skin down, put the lid on it, and just let it go. It's a fish that really can take severe heat. I mean, there's some mm. fish that are really like your garfish or you know your whitings or stuff like that, that you know if you apply that sort of heat to it, they're just going to burn like you wouldn't believe. But yeah. because of the toughness of the skin of the barramundi, you can really go to town on the heat and you can't really burn it as such. I mean, you can't, yeah. you, <laughs> you leave it way too long, but it's really quite good for that. And and the thing is, it's a little bit forgiving as well. So if you're doing something, you going oh, God, I forgot the fish in the oven, you, if it's six minutes or whatever, it's not going to be that overdone. Cooking it like this, because you're only really putting the massive heat through the skin... It also retains a lot of its juices and also the rest in, like meat, it gives it a chance for the juices to once again come together inside the fillet because when they're cooking, obviously juices try and escape the heat like anything else. Mm. And so as you when you say cooking a steak, you can see the blood sort of starting to pop out the top after a while. That's because the blood's trying to get away from the actual heat source and that's why you then rested. And it allows the excess blood to disappear or be left on your resting tray, but the one that's left inside will then spread itself again through the filler.
1: Fish and tips with Starlo. I often talk about the importance of finesse in improving your fishing results. In fact, I guess you could say that finesse is my personal mantra for better and more enjoyable fishing. I'm a firm believer in using the lightest, finest, sneakiest tackle practical for any given fishing situation. I reckon you'll not only get more bites and hook more fish as a result, but you'll also enjoy the entire process a lot more. But, of course, you can take the finesse principle too far. If your gear's ridiculously light for the task at hand, you'll end up losing more fish than you land, and that's frustrating. I call this the finesse conundrum. The lighter you go with your gear, the more fish you'll hook, but also the greater your chances of losing those fish. Take it too far and you reach a point of diminishing returns. It becomes a negative-sum game. Choosing the optimum tackle for the task at hand is always a balancing act. We walk a fine line, metaphorically and literally, between light enough and too light. And no-one gets it right all the time, least of all me. The finesse conundrum is certainly an interesting subject, and it's one that we'll come back to again and again in this series. The Global Angler. We were born to fish.
0: Several years back, I was lucky enough to record this interview with Australian angler author and simply remarkable man, Dick Lewis. For almost half a century, he answered questions and gave advice to anglers from around the world through his column, which was called Ask Dick Lewis. and I really wanted to share this interview from our archives because it is so rare that you can get inside the head of someone with so much life and fishing experience along with such extraordinary
3: passion for the sport that we all love.
0: Dick Lewis, how long have you been fishing for?
3: 77 years. Started when I was three.
0: How have things changed over the past 77 years? Oh,
3: enormously. We've gone to sort from string to gel sprung line. Rods have changed dramatically. Once upon a time they were nice and thick rods, now they're nice and fine and they're getting finer. The problem is there'll be a stage where they get so fine we won't be able to find them when we get up to look for them. And it's, that's the way it's going. But the changes have been astronomical. Yeah.
0: What, what's been the most uh, dramatic change in technology?
3: I would say the depth finders. Yep. They've enabled people to see, virtually see in quotes, fish down underneath them and even see them with the new cameras they're getting out now. We had one in the fish tank here where you can see the lure coming through the water and the fish coming up and taking the lure. They're barbless lures incidentally, no hooks on them, just a little and the fish mouths it and then spits it out again. So there's no damage or harm to the fish.
0: What has fishing given you over the past 77
3: years? It's been a hobby but it's been part work too. I'm still working at writing. What has it given me? It's given me a new life altogether. It's lengthened my life, I think. The fact that I can go fishing, have a beer occasionally without overdoing it or falling in after them. And it's that's that's about that I think it's given me a new life.
0: Has it given you um companionship?
3: Oh wonderful companionship. Yeah wonderful companionship. I've got a lady friend, Caterina, Italian. She's madder than I am as far as fishing goes.
0: Perfect match. A per-
3: well, yes, yes, perfect match.
0: So, how often do you get out to go for a fish these days?
3: Oh, gee, that's a that's a that's a question you shouldn't ask, but I'll answer it. Not very often at the moment. I'm too busy.
0: Is that frustrating?
3: It's very frustrating. I'm suffering from traumatic disease of some sort you know it's called lack of fishing disease it's one of those I've
0: got it all the time have you oh good
3: well you know what I mean don't you
0: what have been some of the most uh, what have been some of the most magical spots you've
3: fished Sweden was one and but I love Australia above everything else in this world the fishing here and the, the the scenery we've got you can't find better scenery we've got here in Australia magnificent And the fishing is as good as any you'll find anywhere in the world, either game fishing or freshwater fishing uh, or estuaries. And I love the kids. We've had a show we called The Two Grandads, and the kids, they love coming up and taking part in it. They all get something.
0: Do you remember what it was that um, you were three years old when you started fishing? Do you remember how you used to get excited about the thought of going fishing when you were a young boy?
3: Oh, yeah, my dad started me off. And I can remember catching a trout at Warrnambool. Uh, no, it wasn't Warrnambool, it was near there. Doesn't matter where, but it was on the, in Victoria because I was born in Victoria. But I can remember catching a trout and it was every bit of about nine inches long. That was the biggest fish I'd ever seen. And I, I pulled it out of the water in such a hurry that it landed about 14 feet behind me. <laughs> the poor fish! I didn't want to do that, but I didn't know. I was so excited. That's probably one thing I'll never forget. That first fish. Probably all kids do that. They probably think it's wonderful.
0: What about your uh, the, the way you fish? How has that changed over the years?
3: Not much. No. See, I've graduated. I used to be out on the ocean fishing, but now I've graduated to a canoe. And when I say graduated, I've gone up, gone up a class I think. I love sitting in a canoe on the river or on a lagoon or something in amongst the uh, water lilies. Is
0: that that because it's not just about fishing, it's about getting out into the environment? Not just about
3: fishing. Fishing is a real bonus. The environment is uh, so wonderful. So I'm not a greenie as such and yet in a sense I am in that I love the bush and everything in it, the animals, the birds, the lot. What's your
0: favourite species
3: of fish? Bass. Why? Well, it used to be the trout. I'm a bit of a, uh, a renegade, I suppose. It used to be the trout. But the bass, which and the trout is an imported fish, of course, but the bass is an Australian fish. And it's only in the last probably 30, 25 years, I can say that because I'm 80, um, that we've really taken an interest in the bass because it's a tough fighting fish. It lives can live in any water, almost, any, except salt. Oh, it does live in salt water because it goes down to, with romance in its mind, down to the coast to spawn. But the bass is a wonderful fish. We all love bass. And we all practise catch and release, except if we want to take one home and eat it. And they're one of the most beautiful eating fish we know. But if you catch them, put them back. Only take the ones that you want to eat, not ten or eleven, just catch one and take it home.
0: Your role is a lot about helping people. People ask you a lot of questions about fishing. Is that very satisfying?
3: I've got a column in Modern Fishing that's been going now for forty-something years and it's all called, it's question and answers, called Ask Nick Lewis. Yeah. It's question and answers, you know of it. Yeah. That's very satisfying because I feel right, and I answer every letter and all the time I've had that column. Uh, the hardest questions to answer come from children. Their little brains are brand new, not like mine, and they ask the most simple but difficult questions, because we don't think of those questions. We seem to take them as a matter of fact that, oh, the fish is there, but they might say, ask, uh, uh, what is the scale of a fish for? I love kids.
0: You do, don't you? love them. Have you got grandkids?
3: Yeah, well, yeah, I've got ten.
0: What would you you have done if you haven't haven't fished for the past so so many years?
3: I would have fallen off the perch, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I would have cacked it.
0: We wish Dick Lewis all the very best. Now, don't miss the next episode of The Global Angler. It's our bass and brim special. We're heading to Ohio in the US and catching up with Aussie Carl Jocklinson, a bass superstar. He's competing in the Bassmaster Elites. So if you think you're a contender for competition fishing, wait until you hear this interview
1: to Snagger and Starlo on the Global Angler. Make sure you catch us again next time and check out our Facebook page and our website. Tight lines.
0: Yeah, hooroo from me too.
1: Oh, pack the boot and buy the
0: bee. <laughs> Tie the knots that take the weight.
2: Stop. Stop, Pack the boot and buy the bait. Tie the knots that take the weight. Got my mates by my side. We'll be frying up tonight. Sailing on the tide, we'll not return until we're stacked. An esky full of beers, will soon replace with what we
1: cash. You've been listening to the Global Angler podcast. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. This has been a
0: bites.com production.